Are you looking for experts and tools to collect research data worldwide? Global sampling, field management, and data collection are just some of the services that Gazelle Global provides. Visit gazelleglobal.com to learn more about how our expertise can help you unearth quality data that drives meaningful insights. Get your research done anywhere around the world quickly and efficiently. Visit gazelleglobal.com today. Hello, and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. This is Priscilla McKinney with you as always, the host, the CEO, the mama bird over here. And as always, I like to pull the curtain back with what's going on at work. I want you to be able to feel like you looked across the room, saw a really interesting conversation going on, and you were thinking, gosh, I wish I could hear what they're talking about. And voila, here's this podcast. So this is going to be one of those great episodes. I have have with me today, Andrew Moffat. You're going to hear with him a little bit about what is going on at Curious Insight. But to give you a little bit of background, he and I met quite a while ago at IIEX Behavior. And of course, we love talking about behavioral data and what is collected and why are humans doing what they are doing. And as a cultural anthropologist, this is the conversation I get in all the time. But Andrew is a seasoned vet in this industry. He was at SSI, then Dynata. That part of the business for almost two decades. And he really has done all kinds of management of sales and operations and teams over 20 markets across the world. So he has seen it all. And let's kick off with this a little bit, Andrew. We're going to tell a little bit more of that story, but welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I just want to make sure that you know that from my side, I don't want you to lose your Irish accent. You've been in the U.S. now long enough, but can we just start the podcast by saying, how do you fortify this, Andrew? It's hard because when I first arrived in the States back in 99, so almost 25 years ago, I worked at SSI and I used to have some of the five people one day from the same company call me and ask me the same questions. So I had my boss call them and ask them why. And she said, because none of them could understand you. So they were trying to figure it out between them. So they sent me to speech writing and delivery classes. And I have lost my accent a bit over time. But if I speak to anyone back home, it comes right back. Okay, boo, we don't want you to lose it. We love it. We absolutely love it. But you and I ended up into an interesting conversation way back when at this last IIEX behavior. But I was just talking with you a little bit about like where we've been in the past in our industries. And you mentioned something interesting about you were doing surveys before online. And I do think that is an interesting thing to point out, not that it's like, oh, so long ago, but it is one of those things that kind of gets your brain thinking a little bit differently. I remember when I was working at Rocky Mountain Bank Card and I was working in banking and in credit card fraud. And I remember we used to have to fill out these forms and we had not triplicate, but we had to fill them out nine times. I had to go, this one paper had to go nine places. And that processing of the data, the way it went, because I did that thing the nine times when we needed to fix things five, six, seven years later, I'm like, I know exactly where those nine things are going and I could fix them. I understood the concept. I understood the bigger picture. And so I do think that is an interesting way of looking at survey and behavioral data collection because you did it manually at one point. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. We Back in the day, I got a job to get a visa almost. That's how I ended up in, in the States. But once you get in there, you learn how 
people make decisions based on the quality of the sample that's produced at the end of the day. And we learned everything from getting true representation for a sample that you could stand up in court and feel good about versus more convenient sample when you're trying to find really hard to reach audiences and things like that. But was able to translate that and see how things moved online, was there when the initial panels were built, and then took those panels into Europe and took those panels into Asia. And then that whole landscape changed into exchanges, being able to move beyond panels. And I think we're today at a point where things are challenged from a data quality perspective because of some of the decisions that were made along the way. They challenge what I see as true methodological view of how you look at things. And so I think what we're trying to look at is how data collection can maybe happen in the future. And we're focused on not necessarily survey data because it has some bias and some recall bias connected to that. And people don't necessarily always remember what they do. And this concept of being able to take everything that people are doing and know more about them and ask them less questions and have them be real people that you get information from. That's the concept of where we started from. I love that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that start because you are the CEO and co-founder of Curious Insight. Now that's been going on almost two years. So tell us a little bit about why, like why did you all want to go start something new? What was it you were seeing? And what does, in your opinion, set Curious Insight apart? Yeah, so we're actually three years into it as in total. The first couple of years were involved kind of building technology, then building panels and learning about those panels for the first couple of years. And we did them for clients at more as a consulting type of a deal in the beginning. But whatever we built, we kept as our own. As we got to see the data that we were creating, we were like, wow, this is the type of data that made... Nielsen, the company that they are, and made Kantar the company that they are, and having these big measurement assets that give them currency within a market. We used to build Nielsen's measurement panels all over the world as an outsourced supplier at SSI. So that was my job for seven or eight years, as well as my team. So we learned how to build online measurement panels, mobile measurement panels, grocery measurement panels, and all those things along the way, and saw if we could commercialize something that looked like those and give them to research agencies and they could then create products on top of those, then that would be an interesting business model. That's where we started. And then when we started creating data, we started giving it to a few research agencies and said, hey, help us productize from it. But they had major issues with being able to handle the amount of data that was being created. So like today we track 100,000 people every day Those 100,000 people give you a billion different touch points digitally every day. The apps they're using, the websites they're visiting, the places they're going in person. And we see things like shopping behavior and ads they're exposed to and how they engage with those brands post-exposure without asking any questions. We're moving beyond the point where you have to survey people to understand them. We're understanding them behaviorally and we're surveying them to understand their attitudes and perceptions rather than what they did and who they are. Okay. You basically said a little bit of that, a hint at the very beginning, if we could unpack it just a little bit, that you want to collect the data, but without asking so many questions. So, the exchange world today where everyone comes in, you get a million questions coming in to take a survey. That's really all done to understand that person better. 
so that you can target them better for surveys and reduce the workload that a panelist has to do in order to take a survey. We've just flipped on a little bit and we're paying them for their data, but they get paid every day for their data. If they share data with us today, they get paid money. And that's all they have to do. Once you turn it on passively, you're turning on a location permission on your device. It's the same thing. And when we ask them to do surveys, so all 100,000 people are contactable and reachable, we're getting super high response rates in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and sometimes 60, 70%, which is much different from traditional panels and how they operate today. So we're moving back into this respondent first, panelist first type mindset and creating a fair exchange of value for the data they're creating, collecting all their information so you don't have to ask them all these front-end questions, targeting them based on their behaviors so you can eliminate screener questions and shorten research engagements and then filter your questions to understanding behaviors of why they're doing things or what they think about things. Okay, so I want to pack something else you just said in there. You talked about walking away from some of the other traditional approaches of what surveys would do. And some yeah. of it is very annoying. It is like constantly repeating these questions that can screen people into certain data pools and things like this. So let's unpack yeah. that just a minute, because the first thing I think about this when you say the traditional approach is thinking about kind of the big behemoth that is a brand tracker. And there's been so much talk about how broken brand trackers are. Mm -hmm. And is it possible that brand trackers are possibly completely rearview mirrors? And is that helpful for a brand? So tell me a little bit about how this is changing or yeah. nuancing really the idea of a brand tracker or instead maybe a brand tracker brand tracking. So I tend to agree that how they're done today is somewhat broken and mainly not because of the research methodology or the people executing the research. I think of a lot of it comes down to the source of the supply. And what happens today is there's a lot of subjectivity that goes into cleaning data on a researcher level on every project. So how do you know you're cleaning out real trends or not? If you're seeing anomalies, are you thinking this is because it's a bot or is it because it's a real trend? There's really no way to know why I think things are somewhat broken today. Whereas if you have a static audience of 100,000 people with 99% retention that you're tracking over time and you see their real behaviors and actions, you actually get to see real trends and real behaviors. And we have the ability to essentially give you yesterday's data today all the time. So you can stay ahead of what's happening in the market. And you're doing so just by tapping into the understanding that these folks are giving you, not necessarily asking them any questions. Let's take a short break. Hi, Priscilla McKinney here, Mama Bird and CEO at Little Bird Marketing. I'm so excited to announce finally, my book is out. Collaboration is the new competition. Why the future of work rewards a cross-pollinating hive mind and how not to get left behind. So what's the book about? <laughs> the impetus was really about a gap that I saw in the business vernacular about how we need to work together to get ahead and have much bigger wins. I think it's super important right now because there is a growing need for collaboration in the business world. And I made this book super practical. In fact, the chapters tell you how many minutes it's going to take for you to get through them. I know you're busy, but these kinds of ideas are going to, I hope, permeate into your thought process and help you get ahead quicker. 
The first part of the book is about what is the state of affairs in business and why I believe collaboration is really needed. And it also goes on to explain these are the fundamentals that need to happen so you can have collaboration. So once you set yourself up for the win, then it's not always smooth sailing. And I finished the last half of the book giving you seven different anchors that you can use as a practical tool in order to make sure you stay on course. So in a time when business has never been more complicated, this book offers a fresh and, in my opinion, much-needed perspective. It moves away from that idea of linear success and instead brings people together to give you a competitive advantage. Visit PriscillaMcKinney.com for more information. So tell me how that feels for the respondent, because you started talking about that a little bit about that is bringing the respondent experience first again. So what is that meant to feel like for them? And what is that feeling like for them in reality? Yeah. So they come in, we tell them what our approach is, which is you share your data and you get paid. We tell them what we do with their data in terms of aggregating it and creating insights in different ways. So they get really open disclosures as to what we're doing, what it's all about. And then once they click their permissions on, there's a location permission and an accessibility permission. And once they're turned on, then they don't really have to do anything to earn currency. They're doing it just from sharing their data every day. And then when we go to engage with them in a survey, it becomes available within the app and they complete the survey and they will get, I will say, a much more generous incentive than they would through a traditional panel. So if it's like a five-minute survey, maybe they get 50 cents or a dollar versus I don't know what they would get, honestly, today in a (laughs) a regular panel. Not a lot. Not a lot. So let's ask the big question that's right here, the elephant in the room. Why Curious Insights? Because there are so many applications that are looking at data, trying to improve it, trying to improve privacy and security and the data, the respondents' experience and being better about the quality of sample and all the things that we've just discussed. But why Curious Insights? I think it comes down to first, why behavioral? Because if you answer that question, then you'll end up with us. And I think the truth is that behaviors tell you what's actually happening and that's what people try to understand and know so if we can give you that understanding from behavioral data only it's going to be much more accurate than any other method which you can collect it in better than survey but better than any other method and the ability to couple behavioral with survey doesn't really exist anywhere at all so that sounds trivial and what it is but we give people two ways to consume what we do so one is a survey approach where you can come in You can target people based on any behavior we collect. So you want to target someone that uses an Uber. We see that you use the Uber app and how many times, or you want to target someone who's a TikTok user for 50 hours a month. We can target those people just from their behaviors. Then we feel the survey like you regularly would. And then on the back end, we can append behavioral variables on those people so you can understand them better without asking questions. So we can say this person engaged with CNN in the past 30 days, this person engaged with Fox News in the past 30 days, this person engaged with MSNBC in the past 30 days, or whatever app or website or product shopped or category shopped or brand level 
information that you want, we can append that to your survey so that you can bring it as a researcher into your analysis, into your SPSS tables, create your own views of your behavioral data with survey data together. The other way is to consume dashboards. So we can actually visualize our journeys or your ad performance or what your competitors are doing from an ad performance or ad spend point of view on a continuous basis, or we can create lookbacks in terms of research, which doesn't exist as well. So I can tell you what happened in the past 12 months or past three months or past two years, or you can see how trends developed from having the data available moving back. And as we move into the future, we're going to use that to start to create some prediction algorithms and other things to help people evolve what they need to do in order to do different things. Okay, I love that. So let's kind of end on that idea of the future. So let's take Curious Insights off the table. You're a long-term vet in this industry, and you've seen a lot come and go. You're obviously highly engaged in the behavioral side of improving what quality of insights brands can get and get as quickly as possible as well. What do you feel is coming? Or even maybe a different question might be, What do you wish people were talking about more? What do you think is the discussion we're not having that is super important? Everyone's talking about data quality, but and everyone talks about potential solutions to data quality, but there really hasn't been any action on it for years. And I think rather than people stick with it because it's what they know almost. I used to say when I was selling sample back in a long time ago, like people very rarely change tracking studies because of consistency reasons and sample mix reasons and other things, even if they're wrong, as long as they're consistently wrong, it's okay, is what they used to say. In a way, it's to encourage people to look beyond how this is really done. And I think in five years from now, most survey research will happen with behavioral panels because it's a much richer way of getting information that's less intrusive on people. And if you can create an environment where people want to share data because they're getting paid adequately for it, I think that world is much more available to us than people know, because I think people already know their data is being used in different ways. So if they can earn from it or learn from it, which is another way we're looking at it, meaning we can tell them about their habits or their spend habits or try to help them in their lives in some way from the data. I see that's how things will evolve. I do find that very interesting. I see a lot of companies providing information back about how you use their app, how you use their product, how you use their digital service or things like that. That happening more in the digital space for market research? Yeah, we see it in our own data. So we can take any audience and tell you what apps they use, what products they shop, what brands they look at, what YouTube channels they they watch or shows they're watching, what they're watching on Netflix or what ads they actually click on and get exposed to. So like we can give any audience understanding from the data we're collecting, which is a lot of the work that we do. And it's just a whole new way of really collecting data and then gaining insights from the data. The real big thing we did besides just getting enough behavioral data people is how fast we can actually turn that data into insights. We've literally transformed the backend data processing from what would take a large organization like a Nielsen, Ipsos, even those big guys, two, three months. I've talked to enough of them. We're down to the same day to be able to turn our behavioral insights into someone can consume visually. If I do think about the future, it might be that people 
consume data differently. Maybe ICR data potentially living in an LLM that learns that people can ask questions. Like we've tried things like, hey, tell me anyone who's bought a camera in the past week, tell me every product they looked at right before they bought a camera. And you can do things like that. And your AI will give you back all of that stuff. And we have this kind of vision where you could have like a statista on demand or something like that allows you to get what you need when you need it. Maybe not just fielding this prescriptive surveys all the time. It's maybe you're dipping in and learning one or two things from the same data source that you trust rather than trying to field everything at the same time because there's a cost of fielding surveys that's different from the inherent cost of collecting the data to begin with. I love that. That's a great line that there's a different cost of fielding surveys than there is in necessarily data collection, that those two things are different and really can be separated. I want to just ask one last question because I do find this interesting. I would like a world where if you were on a panel and your data was being given out to brands consensually, and this is how you were being compensated for it, I would like a dashboard from the respondent side saying, yeah. I want to know who asked for my data. Who did you provide it to? What did you show them? I would like them to say, oh, this user on Uber only ever used the most expensive times of traffic time. That would be interesting where I could, yes, earn from my responses, but also learn from it. Maybe it's more of a comment than anything, Andrew, but I would like to see that because I do think this is about truly sharing the data. You say that people have talked a lot about data quality and have done very little, but also I think about this idea of who owns the data and what it's being used for. People talk about some transparency to the respondents about how we are using the data. But really, I haven't seen anything of that. I have seen data quality initiatives that I think I could get behind, but I have not seen data sharing initiatives back to the respondents that I have ever really thought there. Now we've got something. When we started it, we've seen the evolution of panels. So behind the scenes at SSI, we acquired a bunch of companies. I've seen how a bunch of companies operated. So we have this kind of vantage point where we came into it and said, look, we'd love to create something viral where people want to share data because they're getting something back. And I think that's the next thing on our roadmap, honestly, is to try to figure that out. Because initially it was, let's prove there's something there and we want to build this out. But building out these panels are very expensive. Where you think of 100,000 people that cost 10 million a year, it's just an incentive just to keep them alive. So trying to do something that gives value, that allows you to scale this model into other markets, because this kind of data doesn't exist much outside of the US either. And we have the ability to create data in any market from our approach from a privacy perspective. And we actually have a white label app to develop panels for people that want to onboard their own customers and learn about the digital behaviors of their users, we can do all of that as well. So lots of options, but around the fact of getting people to want to share their data and have it be research that's sustainable is really how we think about how we want our future to be. And I don't feel like how we're operating today is sustainable. So that's really how I feel. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. If you agree or disagree with that, then you can reach out to Andrew. It's Andrew Moffat, M-O-F-A-T-T. Find him on LinkedIn. If you can visit Curious Insight, that's Q-R-I-O-U-S insight.com. And you can find all that information in the show notes. But Andrew, thank you so much for sharing not only what you're doing, but also what you wish we would be doing more of in this industry. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. From all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.